Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Well, depending on where you're at in Texas, it may be really cold outside right now. And if it's not, just wait. Cold weather is on the way. Despite the temperature, thanks so much for joining us for Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. And it doesn't matter what the temperature is outside. We cover all of Texas, from the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the trans and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. I doubt that very many people are happy about the sudden bout of extremely cold temperatures that we're experiencing in the Texas High Plains, but we humans can at least follow the weather forecast. Cattle don't get such a warning. I'm James Hunt, and I'll talk about that on Texas Ag Today. The positive impact of the pork checkoff and connecting with consumers. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Today's report isn't about crop conditions, weather, or new innovations, but it is something that has a large effect on agriculture and rural lifestyle. Well, I'm Barry Mahler, and I have the story in my report from the Rolling Plains. We'll have those stories plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Planters are rolling in South Texas. Jessica Domel has the story. Farmers in some parts of the state are getting an early start planting corn this year. Dr. Josh McGinty, an agronomist for the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service, says a few farmers in South Texas and the Coastal Bend started planting in late January. It's a little bit early, but this has been a pretty mild winter. We really haven't had a hard freeze here at Corpus yet, and soil temps have been very warm. Gosh, even two or so weeks ago, I was seeing soil temps close to 70 and, and occasionally above which is really odd this early in the year. So, you know, if it wasn't for the cold front, yeah, I'd say go ahead and, and roll. The soil temps are good. Uh, we have a little bit of moisture and, and the forecast has been pretty warm until we get a few days down the road. It's, it's going to cool off quite a bit. We figure about Valentine's Day is, is when we'll be right in the middle of just the optimal planning time on average. It can be two or three weeks earlier some years. Some years it could be even later than that, though. That was Dr. Josh McGinty, an extension agronomist. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The nation's cattle herd is slightly smaller, according to the recent USDA cattle inventory report. Texas A&M livestock economist David Anderson says that's just what he was expecting to see. The beef cow herd was down about 180,000 head from the year before, which is uh, just over half a percent, which is about what we expected. You know, that sort of confirms a lot of what we were thinking, that we're just a slow, small decline in cow numbers. All cattle and calves in the U.S. totaled 93.59 million head, slightly below the 93.79 million reported a year ago. Extreme cold is moving into Texas, and it's hitting the high plains first. James Hunt reports from Amarillo. So we have gone from some record-setting warmth for much of the region last week into a progressively brutal chill that we expect to last on through the weekend. Texas A&M AgriLife beef cattle specialist Jason Smith says the sudden transition could cause stress for cattle who are somewhat creatures of habit. They're very resilient to a 
extreme, but the thing that's difficult for them to handle is abrupt changes. And so when we see really quick changes, we go from almost 80 degrees down to the 20s at night or what's upcoming is expected to be maybe even a little more extreme than that. We do know that that can be not the easiest thing in the world on on animals. Dr. Smith advises ranchers to be mindful of possible cattle health issues as the animal's immune systems could be impacted, and certainly make sure livestock have access to good nutrition and unfrozen water. Now switching over to the row crop side of agriculture, for cotton farmers in our region, the availability of oxen herbicides like dicamba and 2,4-D has provided a way to combat the problem of glyphosate-resistant Palmer amaranth, but extension weed specialist Peter Dotre says to avoid suffering similar pitfalls with the oxen products, make sure to use them strategically as part of a system. We could just stay on that treadmill if we suddenly now overuse these technologies and, and use them apart from other soil residuals or tillage or other inputs. We could essentially just add additional resistance properties to the resistant weeds that are already out in the field. A reminder that Texas A&M AgriLife is offering an online oxen-specific certification training this Friday. Contact your local extension office for more information. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The pork checkoff is having a positive impact for Texas pork producers. Tom Nicoletti takes a look. The National Pork Board's Angie Krieger joins me again today. She is the Pork Board's Vice President for Domestic Marketing. Let's talk, uh, Angie, about the pork checkoff and its influence on the industry and pork producers and uh, the overall impact it has on uh, pork sales uh, domestically here in the United States. Yeah, our team here at the pork checkoff, our goal is to increase pork demand here domestically. And our, our partners across the building are focused on our international markets, which are also incredibly important. What we know from this last year and the disruptions that we had in our supply chain are that balance in our marketplace is really, really important. So while we've seen incredible retail sales this year, um, our partners in food service have struggled and you know we've seen a downtick there. Now, when you look at pork, retail is really strong for us. Fresh pork cuts are mostly sold at retail. So we're excited to see that growth and we wanna see it um, continue on. We wanted to come into this year and, and we had our plans changed a little bit by COVID, but to develop this big, bold idea that would really unleash the consumer desire to go, about, go buy pork. We wanna highlight all of pork's advantages. And so we've launched our new um, strategy called Real Pork, uh, which came out in September. And we're really excited as part of that strategy to talk about pork to consumers uh, from farm to fork. Consumers want authenticity in their products. Um, they want to eat uh, foods that they feel good about feeding their families. And we know we have a lot of good stories to tell. So that's our, that's our main focus as we move into this next year is to really connect with consumers in a different way. We, we know we have great flavor. Um, we know pork is versatile, but uh, we also need to share with them the stories of our producers so that they understand the authenticity of the product. Beyond the borders of the U.S., uh, where uh, is the National Pork Board looking to, uh, to grow uh, in uh, international markets? Yeah, we're always looking to um, diversify our export markets. Um, exports are incredibly strong for us, and uh, we are focused um, always on um, on Japan and China and Mexico as key partners. But we've got some great reports about Korea and Taiwan and the opportunities that we see in those markets as we move forward and they continue to, to consume more and more pork. 
Again, those comments from Angie Krieger. She is with the National Pork Board, serving as Vice President of Domestic Marketing. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Road maintenance is a big issue in rural Texas. Barry Mahler discusses the subject from the Rolling Plains. As a county commissioner, I'm required to fill out an annual road report for Texas Department of Transportation, giving an account of the roads in each precinct. It includes the mileage of the road, general description, and what would be needed budget-wise to improve it for today's use. While working on that report recently, I began to think about rural roads, how they've changed over the years, the service they provide, and the demands of the future. I remember growing up on our farm about five miles from town. We lived on a narrow gravel road, and there were four houses along that route, so anytime someone passed by, we had a pretty good chance of knowing who they were. That gravel road was sufficient for us for, oh, getting us to church on Sunday, to the grocery store, to school on the school bus, and bringing supplies to the farm and hauling the crops to market. In those days, the inputs and the crops traveled in single-axle bobtail trucks, for the most part weighing 10,000 to 18,000 pounds, and we got along okay. The road was paved in the late 60s, and things began to change. Supplies of seed and fertilizer for the farm and the crops raised and now travel in semi-trucks for the most part, weighing 50 to 80,000 pounds and travel at much higher speeds. Farms began to change hands due mostly to generational changes, and now there are 15 houses on that same road and much more traffic. As roads become wider, it uses up more of the available right-of-way and creates drainage issues that must be addressed. And as populations grow, there are more power lines, phone cable, and water lines sharing that right-of-way. I think you can see how our needs for roads have changed. More houses continue to be built along with an increase of light to heavy manufacturing in the rural areas. And in many places, uh, they need just wider and heavier and safer roads to need is outpacing the budget to build them. I suppose that's why I fill out that report each year as it gets the discussion going as to how we're going to meet the need in the future. Some see it as a challenge, but in reality, it's just a sign that our state is continuing to grow and continuing to prosper. This is Barry Mahler reporting from the Rolling Plains for Texas Ag Today. Despite a regulatory freeze, eligible farmers can still sign up for the CFAP 2.1 funding. Michael Clements reports from Washington. The Biden administration issued a regulatory freeze to review federal programs, including the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program 2.1 for farmers and ranchers. American Farm Bureau Federation economist Michael Neview says, however, farmers can and should sign up for the program now. Yes, they can, and we highly encourage them to do so. So there's been some conversation around potentially the program being canceled. That is not the case. It's just a temporary freeze. This is pretty common when you get a new administration coming in, and once they get all their people in place, we highly expect a program to be moving forward. So with this, we still encourage farmers to apply. They are still accepting applications. They just aren't processing payments at this point. Nevue says the latest round of assistance was expanded to include contract growers. Many producers were left out of the CARES Act and original CFAT programs because farmers who raise animals under a contract for another entity that owns those animals could not participate. In this recent announcement, USDA clarified that contract producers of broilers, turkeys, chicken eggs, laying hens, and hogs who suffered a drop in revenue in 2020 due to the pandemic are now eligible for assistance. Nevue says the deadline to apply is approaching quickly. Newly eligible producers who need to submit a CFAP application or producers who need to modify an existing one have to do so by February 26. They can do that at their local USDA service center or they can find additional information at USDA's CFAP website. Michael Clements, Washington. Axis deer are not native to Texas, and they've become a real problem for some landowners. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll explain on Texas Ag Today. 
and commonly used medications in performance horses can cause problems if not used correctly. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a close look at that issue coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. National FFA Week is February 20th through the 27th, and FFA students across the country will be sharing their stories. I'm Doster Harper, president of the National FFA Organization, and I'm from the state of Georgia. National FFA Week is a time to share what FFA is and the impact it has on members every day. And because FFA and agricultural education prepare students for careers, leadership, and the ability to face what the future holds, that impact is profound. Share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Two commonly used medications in performance horses can cause some real problems if you don't use them correctly. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd tells why. Butazolidin, called Bute for short, is used commonly in performance horses to treat musculoskeletal pain. Although the drug is very effective at pain control, side effects can occur. Due to these side effects, many veterinarians have recommended using omeprazole or gastroguard to prevent stomach ulcers when giving bute. However, there was a concern about using these drugs together. And because of this, Dr. Heidi Bansi performed a study to determine the safety and efficacy of using bute and omeprazole together. The study involved 45 horses that were placed in stall confinement and fed grass hay and about two pounds of grain or pelleted feed per day. This was done as abrupt housing and diet changes are known risk factors for gastric ulcer development. Horses were broken into three groups, with one group receiving bute only, one group bute anomeprazole, and one group receiving no medication. The horses' stomachs were scoped at day 0, 7, and 14, and blood work was performed prior to and at the end of the study. The group of horses receiving bute only had an increase in gastric ulcers, while the horses receiving bute anomeprazole had decreases in gastric ulcers. However, two horses in the bute only group and six in the bute anomeprazole group developed colon impaction, colic, diarrhea, and inflammation, and ulceration of the intestine leading to infection. Also, five horses did not even complete the trial due to intestinal complications. So if you are using omeprazole to prevent gastric ulcers in your horse because you are also using bute, it is likely effective for that purpose, but it is a major concern that this could lead to other serious intestinal complications. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Axis deer are becoming a problem for some Texas landowners. Jessica Domel tells why in today's Wildlife Report. 89 years ago, Axis deer, a species native to India, were brought to the Texas Hill Country. Since then, their free-ranging population has increased greatly and is negatively impacting agricultural production, native wildlife, and riparian habitat. To raise awareness about the impacts of these free-ranging Axis deer, the Texas Hill Country Alliance, Texas Tech University's Department of Natural Resources Management, and other partners have launched an Axis deer control project. Daniel Oppenheimer, Hill Country Alliance Land Program Manager, says in addition to raising awareness, the project also seeks to recognize landowners for their efforts to control the exotic species and to support research that will improve control efforts. Our focus is on free-range access deer. We're not telling someone what to do behind their high fence. Rather, we're trying to raise awareness about what's happening in these low fence scenarios. 
if you haven't seen it firsthand, it's hard to believe, but there are pastures where you can see 100, 200, even over 300 free-range axis deer going through there. Just think about that in terms of your crops or if you're trying to enhance wildlife habitat, having two or 300 animals browsing and grazing through your fields at dusk is going to have an impact. Hunters and trappers who have legally harvested a free-ranging axis deer are encouraged to bring a frozen, complete lower jawbone from each harvested axis deer to one of the scheduled drop-off points. The jawbones will be used to research free-ranging axis deer. The first drop-off is scheduled Tuesday at Stonewall Smokehouse in Stonewall from 5 to 6.30 p.m. We'll have more on this project tomorrow on the Texas Wildlife Radio Show. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. We saw another mixed day of trading for live cattle futures on Friday, but the cotton market continues to take off higher. We'll take a closer look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. National FFA Week is February 20th through the 27th a week set aside for FFA students across the country to share how FFA impacts members every day. I'm National FFA Secretary Anna Mathis from Arkansas. Because FFA and agricultural education prepare students for careers, leadership, and the ability to face what the future holds, the FFA impact is profound. Share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA week. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. It was another mixed day of trading for live cattle futures on Tuesday. We ended up closing mix with the nearby February up 87 cents, 117.45, April down 12, 123.82. The feeder cattle market closed higher, getting support from a lower corn market. March feeders up a dollar 20, 138.65. April feeder cattle up a dollar 70, 143.17. Cash fed cattle market still at a standstill on a Tuesday. No sales reported, no bids reported from the packers. The feedlots are pricing cattle this week at 116 to 117 on a live basis. Up north, they're pricing cattle at 185 plus on the rail. Boxed beef prices mixed on Tuesday. Choice down 91 cents, 235.29. Select up 33 to 20.94. Now let's check out the auction barns. Let's walk the pens with Larry Marble. Neighbor, when you hear my cowboy crew riding hard, I've sent them up to Caldwell to help Carl Herman with this week's gathering for the sale on Wednesday. But first, Carl, let's talk. How many noses did you count last week? You know, we had a really good one, Larry. We had about an 800 hit for uh, 120 consigners on a higher cow market and calf market and had uh, 46 buyers on hand. Well, Carl, let's walk the pins. We had 120 cows and bulls. Slaughter cows, 20 to 70. Slaughter bulls, 62 to 94. Stalker cows, 600 to 11 and a quarter. Pairs, 650 to 10 and a quarter. I'll tell you what, we had really pretty good cows. Cow markets, the packer market has jumped up pretty good and a lot of those cows are bringing from 60 to 70 cents, and we hadn't seen that in a long time. On the calf side, on the steers, two to three weight steers, 160 to two and a quarter. Three to four weights brought 162 to 192. Four to five weights, 151 to 182. Five to six weights, 138 to 162. Six to seven weights, 127 to 143. Seven to eight weights, 109 to 128. 
on the heifers, two to three weights, 150 to 195. Three to four weights, 146 to 170. Four to five weight heifers, 135 to $2. Five to six weights, 125 to 137. Six to seven weights, 121 to 140. Seven to eight weight heifers, a dollar to dollar twenty. Larry, it was a good day. These guys really wanted to cattle. The market's going up. It's almost fun to sit there and watch them buy. Uh, we look forward to next week. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you for the Wednesday sale in Caldwell. Okay. My number is 979-820-5349. Call the barn, 567-4119. Or for the Giddings and surrounding area, call Max Ebner, 540-8676. Carl, we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Thank you, Larry. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Neighbor, you've been listening to me, Larry Marble, and Carl Herman from Caldwell Livestock Commission Company Sales Every Wednesday. Our program, Walking the Pins, on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Now back over to the futures market. Lean hogs close mixed. February up 42 cents, 72.60. April down 27 at 80.37. Class 3 milk was lower. February down 12 cents, 15.49.100. March milk down 20 at 16.34.100 weight. Another big jump to the upside in the cotton market on Tuesday. USDA's monthly supply and demand report very bullish for cotton. They left the 2020 crop unchanged at 14.95 million bales, but they increased exports up to 15.5 million. That caused ending stocks to fall to 4.3 million bales. And with stocks that tight, we're seeing sharply higher prices. We close with March cotton up 265 points, 86.93. The May up 253 points, 88.13. December cotton up 155. 8367. The wheat market, however, falling after USDA's report, they increased the ending stocks estimates for hard red winter wheat from 334 million bushels up to 362 million bushels. That is more than expected, so that pushed prices lower. July Kansas City wheat down five and a half, 639 and a quarter. July Chicago wheat down two, 641 a bushel. The corn market closing lower. March corn down seven and a half, 556 and a quarter. September corn down three and a half. 482 and a quarter. In the energy markets, March natural gas down 6 cents, 281. March crude oil up 41 at 58.38 a barrel. The financial markets mixed. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 9 at 31,375. The Nasdaq up 20 points, 14,007. The S&P 500 down 4, 3,911. That's a look at our markets, and that wraps up another edition of Texas Ag Today. Hey, if you're in one of those cold spots here in Texas, bundle up, stay warm, and join us right back here tomorrow, where we'll bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.